this is weird shit that my mom says. Episode 15. I'm Jill Scraton. And I'm Cece Alice. That was amazing. Did you like that? I really liked that intro, like a lot. Thanks. A lot, a lot. Yeah. So how was your week? It was a week, man. It was a week. Lots of lots of kids stuff, always. Lots of kids like getting involved in new things like work and sports and uh, you know, just craziness. And um let's see what else did I do exciting. I can't think of anything exciting. I'm still working on the sound booth. Um, This project has been taking over my life because I have OCD, basically. That's what you thrive in, though, is things taking over your life like that. I do. I do. But like the rest of everything else is suffering, like probably my husband and probably my garden. Oh, well... As long as your garden's okay. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, my my garden is, I just haven't walked through it. Like, it's really big, you know. And so Uh I'm just kind of like, okay, it looks pretty from afar. And I will just trust that it will still be there, weeds and all, for me when I get done with this project. Um, Other than that, let's see, yesterday I got to go with the doc He's doing some research. Um, He's always doing some research. But I got to go out for bug collection yesterday. Um, Yeah, on a a dead carcass, on a deer body. Oh, a deer one. Okay, I was like, you're just going and helping collect bugs off of dead bodies? That was a concern. No, when they do the body farm, I can't. I can't. Oh, gross. Yeah. Um so that was really gross. I I'm glad that I got to see it cuz I get to see the progression pictures, like the entomology ones of like it's important work. It really is important work because where we live, there isn't a lot of data on the progression of decomp of bodies, so it gives that timeline oh. of like how long the body's been out in the elements these the specific elements to where we live um so which is hot and soupy so it's it's fascinating but it's also disgusting it's disgusting but important it is it'll help catch some bad guys later it should help catch the bad guys yeah yeah that's really cool it is um yeah not many people get to go see something like that um so it was no they really don't it was cool he's got this little container and it like you put you put like a some kind of chemical that I don't know the name of in the Uh top in the cap of this little collection jar and then he takes this bug net and he like swoops it through the air really fast and he collects like the different kinds of bugs and flies that are flying around it and then uh-huh. he like scoots them all down to the bottom of the net and then sticks it in this glass jar that like euthanizes them. And then he just dumps out the bugs into it, into the solution stuff. Ew. Yeah. It's really gross. And then he picks up bugs off the ground and takes a bunch of pictures. Ooh. Interesting. Very. And I'm glad that's not my job. So. I'm glad that's not my job either. I came home. We smelled so bad. Like, just being by it. I came home. I had already showered and gotten dressed. I just took everything off and, like, got ready again. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I feel somewhat better. Okay. But that's I hear that you yeah. have had an exciting week somehow that has led us up to the episode today. Yeah. So... Uh... You remember how I fell into a deep hole of ridiculousness over the Skinwalker Ranch? Yes. Yeah, so that's just the tip of the fucking iceberg. I I was going to do another old-timey true crime and then move over to some, 
UFO type stuff afterward. And so, like, I was, I just, I wanted to, like, mix it in better because I know we did a cryptid last mm-hmm. week. But then I was like, okay. And you had mentioned to me that I should do alien stuff again. And I was just sitting on the couch last Saturday. And I figured it wouldn't hurt to just like, get my toes wet with the documentary on the case that I wanted to do in a couple weeks. And so I watched this documentary, The Alien Abduction, Betty and Barney Hill. Oh. It was released earlier this year. And it, I just fell down this rabbit hole <laughs> with it. I can't it just it's eaten me alive this week and I've I started there's little bits and pieces and like this story is is what I'm going to focus on today but there's like so many more things about UFOs that we that might be going on in the world that we're like just not aware of or some people are I I don't know and I just I'm starting to find all these really credible sounding sources yeah and it's just really fucking blowing my mind. I can't think about anything else. <laughs> and I'm trying I'm trying not to watch any of it while my daughter is home because I don't want to scare her because it scares me like that the thoughts of what's going on is really scary but also I can't stop. I've become obsessed with UFOs this week. You're a ufologist. Yes. And I have learned that in order to get on the History Channel as a UFO researcher, that it does not your real job. So, I mean, maybe that's me someday. Maybe. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking on ancient aliens. I'm not sure. But, but yeah, that I, I just, I just fell down a hole. I actually, in the last couple of weeks, have run into some stories, um, you know, like just podcasts or whatever that I've listened to that are some crazy ass UFO stories. And I haven't gotten into that yeah. for a long time. But there was some ones in, in England and stuff that were nuts. Oh, my God. I want to hear about those. I'm going to have such a hard time going back to true crime. But I think it'll be good for me, too, to like yeah. just pull away from this a little bit. But it's just literally all I want to think about. Honestly, I'm sure there's plenty of podcasts that are all about this. And I, <laughs> I would probably turn into a lunatic. Our listeners will probably slowly listen to me turn into a lunatic further and further um as time goes on because of yes this. this podcast is not completely about ufos okay it's not it's not all about ufos but you can't do okay, your regular so, job in life you're like i'm sorry i can't focus you're like in a meeting and they're like where did you just go now and you're like oh man i'm thinking about ufos right now <laughs> i can't i can't I can't concentrate right now. Did you now. just look behind um, you because you thought that there was an alien behind you? I th- I keep having to look behind me all the time. It's just when I do like ghost stuff, I always have to look behind me. So you'll probably see me do that a Did lot. Did you get abducted as a child and we don't know it? I don't I don't think so. No. This case though that that I'm going to talk about does have some evidence. There's there's some stuff that that might be discredited, but I think that it's worth listening to. So we're going to talk about Betty and Barney Hill today. Okay. We're probably going to make fun of a couple parts of this here and there because of who we are as people. But I do just want to give a disclaimer that you should hear this out and kind of think about whether or not UFOs are something that could really be real. I think that we need to like start giving it more credit in the world. If you think about how we we believe in ghosts, right? A lot of us that listen, like the people that are listening to our podcast, probably yeah. some of them or most of them believe in ghosts. And so if it's so believable for us to have this like other plane, you know, that these other beings are living on right in our everyday, like, like that doesn't sound crazy to you. But the thought that there might be other stars out there with intelligent life on them that have become much more technologically advanced than we have. I don't feel like that is outlandish at all. Well, I actually um, don't disbelieve. It would make more sense to me if there were aliens versus not. Because, like, why are we so fucking special? I know. There's, and I I don't think that we are. After everything I've learned this week, I'm not going to get, like, too into it, and especially because I don't feel like I can, like, really fully speak intelligently on the whole subject yet. But I think that that this is going to at least, like, talk about a story. We'll give them some benefit of the doubt as to whether or not it may have even happened because some people doubt that it really did. And then I would also advise any of our listeners to do some research because it's pretty crazy. So... We're going to start talking about these two. So Barney Hill, 
um, was born in 1922 in Newport News, Virginia. Okay. He had been married and divorced and had two grown sons by the end of the 1950s. He served in World War II in the Army as a marksman and a truck driver before having been wounded. He, this guy had an IQ of 140, which is at the cusp of a genius level. And he wanted to be an engineer, but had been discouraged because he was black. And he worked for the Postal Service, but was heavily involved in the U.S. Civil Rights Movement. So okay. Barney was visiting Hampton Beach in New Hampshire, which uh, was a popular beach or is a popular beach resort. They have a boardwalk there with like souvenir shops, ice cream parlors, probably T-shirt places, all the things that you see at a boardwalk. <laughs> Sorry, Jules is making weird faces. I was doing me. an alien face at um, you. Oh, oh, that's what that was. Your eyes just didn't get big. Oh, you look like one now. Okay, um, thanks. That's all I wanted. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so he's he's hanging out down at the, the, the boardwalk and beach over there. And through friends, he gets introduced to his future wife, Betty. Um, they're both in their late 30s, early 40s mm-hmm. at the time. So Betty is a couple years older than him. Um, she was born in 1919 in New Hampshire. She was local to that area. And she was a social worker. Um, she worked primarily with children and helped them get placed for adoption. She was super opinionated, loved to debate, and she was really completely willing to get involved in politics and All right. just talk about whatever it is can we just, that she needed to. Can we just talk about how cute their names are? I know. Betty and and they're actually, they're adorable. Like, they're a cute little couple. He's black and she's white, which is crazy for the 1960s, yeah, like early is. 1960s, and especially in the part of the country that they were in. Um, they're just, they're so adorable. I'm going to look them up. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, you should. First met, it wasn't really like an immediate love connection or anything. They just met through these friends. Um, but she had an apartment that she rented out for extra money. I think she was a pretty badass bitch for the 1960s, I like to think. You know, like she's, she had never been married. She's in her late 30s. I think I can relate to her maybe. And so she... She's just like out there getting it. She's got this apartment. So she tells Barney, who's thinking about maybe moving there at some point, that if he decides to move there, that he can rent the apartment from her. What if you're like, so what if you're like on the cusp of meeting your Barney Hill? I might be. Who knows? Like, what if you, what if you, you know, like meet a man that loves aliens as much as you do? I know we have to be really careful because some of the people that love aliens are lunatic so are you no i know but like more lunatic are you sure so (laughs) yeah so sometime later i'm not really sure when the timeline's a little bit mixy on this but barney decided to actually move to new hampshire and so he looks up betty because he wants to rent the apartment from her and they end up falling for one another and getting married despite you know the mixed race couples being rare in 1961 it didn't seem like it really caused like her her family seemed like they were pretty cool people they were really respected in their community they had a lot of accomplishments they weren't racist which is great so they were just like whatever that is cool um there was not really any drama in their lives that anybody could find over this mixed race can we talk about their dog for a second there's a cute picture of the two of them with their dog I know the dog is actually with them for this story. Oh my god, it's so cute. Okay, yes, go on. The real story begins really on. Um, so they may have been on their honeymoon or just a vacation. The um, the documentary said it was their honeymoon, but everywhere else I found said that they were just on a vacation. But they were they had been in Montreal, Canada, or they think that they went to. Niagara Falls and then decided to drive back to to where they were in New Hampshire through Montreal. So Niagara Falls, then Montreal, and then they were driving home at night. They were going to just try to drive through the night to get home, which is about a four-hour drive. They left um, the the town that they had been in for the day at 10.30 p.m. They're driving on Route 3, which is also called Daniel Webster Highway, through the White Mountains and... Their wiener dog, Delcy, was with them. It wasn't just a car. wiener dog. It looked like a like a Charles uh what's it called? King Charles Spaniel mixed with a wiener dog. Yeah, I don't know. They called it a so dachshund. Is that what they're or a dachshund? Yeah, dachshund. dachshund. It's it's dachshund. 
but it's spelled like Dashen. Yeah. Oh, that's why. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just thought they were two different things, but that makes sense. No. Which no. is weird for me because I'm a dog person. Mm-hmm. I am going to just preempt this by saying I don't know what happened with Delcy this whole time. I think she must have just been chilling in the car when all of this went down. So there's a mention at one point that he had, I'm not even going to cover it with that part, but that he had taken the dog out of the car for a minute. But it just, I think that his dog was like literally just hanging in their car while all this happened as this goes. So the dog was not harmed. He He's fine. And it didn't die of like, overheating in wrong. the car? No, there was no death of the dog. There was no mention of what happened to the dog. So I'm assuming that everything was just fine. And they had this picture of them with the dog afterwards. Okay, so I think that's fine. So there are maybe they left a little bit more before 1030. I might have got my times mixed up here, not looking at my notes well enough. But so around 1030 p.m., they're just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire. So Betty spots a bright light in the sky that she first thinks is a shooting star until she realizes that it's moving up toward the moon instead of down toward the earth, mm-hmm. which was strange. She's paying attention to the star and she notices that it's getting brighter and brighter and she's getting really perturbed by this. And so she convinces Barney to pull over the car. Barney looks at it and tells Betty that it's likely just a satellite that got off track. But Betty's like, no, like my dad is really into satellites and he talks about them all the time. And I know that this is not behaving like a satellite. It's kind of like zigzagging across the sky really quickly. And Betty's starting to get worked up and Barney's thinking that he's got to stay calm to keep her calm um, and decides that it must just be some sort of jet. He doesn't believe in, in UFOs at all. So he knows deep down that something's not right, but he just... You'll see that there's kind of a pattern of Barney not wanting to acknowledge what's what's happening. And I think this is the very start of this. Okay. And so he is, he's looking at this thing. He's hoping to see or like to, to hear a motor of some sort. Because like I said, he's a World War II veteran. He's familiar with, with aircraft right. and things like that. He's trying to like hear some kind of noise that's going to come from a military aircraft. Maybe, but he's not hearing anything. They're looking at it, kind of taking turns through the, their binoculars, and they don't see anything like super crazy yet, but they're just kind of like, this is weird. They kind of give up, though. They're like, okay, like we, we really need to get driving. We can't just like sit here and watch this thing all night. So they get back in their car and they're start, they start driving again. They're going a little bit more slowly this time because it just becomes clear that this thing is kind of following them. Barney in his head is thinking that this is some kind of military pilot that's trying to fuck with them because they're the only car on the road out there or something but it's continuing to kind of like zig and zag through the sky and it's switching directions like a ping pong ball it's fast during this time um, Betty's looking out the window at it and she sees it pass above a restaurant on top of Cannon Mountain and came out near the old man of the mountain, which I think is some kind of cliff area. So she said that it was longer than the length of the granite cliff profile, which is about 40 feet long. She thought it was maybe about 60 feet long based on that. Yeah. Like a space um, yacht. So yeah. And the aircraft seemed to be kind of rotating as well. After about 30 miles, so this is following them for quite a while, the craft dives down right in front of their vehicle. And forces them to stop near Indian Head, which is an area that Barney has been to before and is somewhat familiar with. They stop their car and Barney gets out and he grabs a gun that he has in the trunk. He feels a sense of duty, of course, to his wife to get rid of this thing and has some thoughts about shooting it or something, which is like it's a 60 foot aircraft and you have like a handgun. Like, I don't know about that. So he does get he gets out of the car, though, takes the binoculars with him with his gun and he walks toward a field to approach this thing that's hovering about 100 feet above his head. There's like a field right by where they're at. He describes it as round and flat like a pancake. It has curved windows all around the outside edge of it and appears kind of like a commercial airliner but not really. He's got the binoculars so he decides to look through them and Betty is still back at their car He can see about 9 to 11 gray beings in the windows with shiny black uniforms on. Wait, like what are they? They don't have any. Are they all just like looking out the window? 
Yeah, they're all looking out the window at him. Like just a lot, like like little kids peeking out the window, but yeah, they're just like up there, like looking at him. Fuck me. And they don't have any hair. They have really large eyes that kind of go from the middle of their face, kind of wraps around to the outsides of their head a little bit. It's just, it's creepy, right? He's like, what the fuck is this? He's still looking through the binoculars, and one of the guys starts hitting what he thinks are some, like, levers or buttons or something on the inside, and the other guys just disappear from the windows. He's not seeing them. And he starts to feel the guy in the window. So when he describes this, he says that this guy that's left over in the window, who they call the leader throughout the rest of this, is talking to him telepathically. He's hearing in his head that he needs to just stay there and just keep looking. What the fuck? At the thing in his body. Barney doesn't want to stay there and keep looking. He's like starting to think to run. It's really hard for him to like move his body or be able to. And he describes it that he was able to kind of tear the binoculars away from his face because it just felt so much like he couldn't move like he had to keep looking there and so he's able to tear them away from his face and he starts running and realizes that the bottom of the aircraft is opening (gasps) it's like these red lights like coming out of it and so he is able to run back to the car while yelling for buddy to get in and that they're going to be captured and he hops in there and they start driving so He's, like, driving like a bat out of hell, and Betty is, like, hanging her head out of the window and watching this craft through the binoculars, and they they realize that it's obviously still following them. Fuck. So, suddenly, they start hearing this, like, rhythmic beeping sound come from the trunk of their car, and they start feeling a tingling sensation in their bodies, and then suddenly everything goes silent. And then just as suddenly as that everything had gone silent, all of a sudden they hear a weird buzzing noise. They see a fiery orb appear on the road in front of their vehicle. And then they hear more buzzing. And then just as suddenly as all that happened, they realize that they're 35 miles further down the highway with no memory of driving those miles. The craft is gone. And what time? What like what time is it now? Like, is it still nighttime? Is it? We're gonna get back to that later. We're gonna get back to that okay. later. Once they're the thirty-five miles down the road, Betty asks Barney, "Like, do you believe in flying saucers now?" And he goes, "No, of course I don't." <laughs> Barney does not want to talk about what happened, <laughs> and they just sit in silence until they arrive home in Portsmouth at daybreak, so later than they expected to get home, and so. Upon getting home, they realize that both of their watches are completely dead. She feels like kind of like she feels like contaminated or dirty in some way. And so um, she takes off her dress. She realizes that her dress that had been brand new, she wore it one other day on the vacation. It's torn from the hem, the zipper and the lining. And so she just feels like this dress is like gross and she throws it away. She's like, this is nasty. They both are like, we need to take some showers before we get some sleep. Um, So Barney's kind of like looking at stuff too. And he realizes that the leather strap for his binoculars is torn. And he couldn't recall how that happened. As he was trying to get clean, he felt a really strong urge to inspect his genitals in the shower. But he didn't find anything out of the ordinary going on. He was just like, that's really weird. But I just felt like I needed to like check things out and make sure everything was good. Betty said, you know, that she felt contaminated, too. So she she wouldn't allow them like she wouldn't allow Barney to like bring their luggage past the front door at first. And they both took really long showers and decided they were going to go to sleep for a few hours after their their morning nap. Betty wakes up and just suddenly decides that she needs to retrieve the dress from the garbage. because She's like this. I, I need to make sure that I, I keep this because there's something weird okay. going on. I just have this feeling. So she wakes up, she goes and grabs it from the garbage, and she hangs it back up in her closet without washing it. It's kind of like the Monica Lewinsky dress. Yeah, kind of like that. Like, she was the OG. She was like, I should probably keep this dress and not launder it. You never know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so later that day, they are, like, making sure that their car is unpacked from their road trip. And they notice that there's 15 to 20 really shiny little spots on their car that looked as if they've been, like, super polished. 
So imagine just like some little like dots on your car that are like super polished, but the rest of your car is like <laughs> normal. I'd be kind of pissed, actually. I know. It's like very strange. So obviously, you know, like they, they do remember seeing this craft and everything that, that happens. And Betty really... She feels like this is a UFO. She really wants to know more because, like, who wouldn't, right? Like, she, she's like, we need to figure out what the fuck went down last night. Like, figure out something. And Barney is like, no, do not talk to anybody about this. Everybody's going to think that we're nuts. Stop yeah. talking about this. I would say don't talk about it, too. Yeah. Betty decides that she needs to call her sister because, like, we get that, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's no way that I'm going to see a UFO. And even if I don't want everybody else to know about it, I'm like, I'm going to call my sister. You're the first person I would call. I wouldn't even get to the house. I'd be like, dude, <laughs> an alien fucking I know, got me. right? Like, you would call me that night. Yeah. So, also, there's no internet. Anytime I have a question about the world, I'm Googling shit I know. constantly. Like, all the time. But we couldn't when we were kids. And she can't do that. When we were kids, we couldn't. Yeah. She's, like, she needs, she wants to know what's going on. And so there's no Google. So she she also knows that her sister has a physicist neighbor. So when she calls her sister, she's like, hey, can you, I, I know that this is weird. Her sister is a believer, though. So she's just like, yeah, I'll talk to my neighbor and figure out what's what's going on or if mm-hmm. there's anything that you can like check to make sure that you're not bringing contaminated stuff into your house that kind of thing so the physicist tells her sister to experiment with the compass by the spots on the car and so barney begrudgingly takes the compass out to the car and when he puts it up to those spots not the other parts of the car but just those spots the compass goes nuts like spinning what? around like crazy mm-hmm yeah pretty nuts i wish that they would have taken video at least you know like get a super eight out or something and i know record right like that would have that yeah it just sucks when it's older you know because you don't have but i think with ufos what i've learned this week is that they'll show themselves but they also they kind of go out of their way to make sure that they're not recorded which like, even with Skinwalker Ranch, like, you see that, like, the equipment malfunctions when it needs to. Yeah. Like, there's an intelligence among it that that does keep us from getting some of the evidence that we might need. So, do you think that because technology has progressed so much that the alien encounters have become less? Um, no, I think that the lack of nuclear war and nuclear weapons i mean like there hasn't been like people trying to go out and bomb like i'm wondering if there's a lot of ufo stuff going on in um over in russia and ukraine right now why because the aliens are obsessed with nuclear weapons really yes okay like that it actually is going to be something that we'll talk about within this case a little bit later so hmm Yeah. So Betty's sister decides that she's going to come visit them. And she brings along her husband and her children. Her niece actually is is straight up obsessed with UFOs now who (laughs) came along. Um, She was 12 years old at the time that this happened. And she is a UFO researcher now um, and and did a lot of stuff with with her aunt, which I loved. Um, So she actually saw those spots, but she was like trying to touch them. And her mom and dad were like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't touch that. No, no, no. So she she did come with them. And she said that she did see those those spots. But, you know, that's still not proof proof. But so he brings along her husband, though, too. That's the like who's best friends with the former chief of police. Mm -hmm. And through the former chief of police, she's told that she really needs to report the incident because the government has asked that UFO sightings be reported to the Air Force, even though Barney is like not he's excited not into about it. This. He's like, please no. Yeah. Betty calls Peace Air Force Base, uh Air Force Base Air Fort, I said. Air Fort. <laughs> That's what a flying saucer is, is an air fort. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she calls up the Air Force Base, which is right in Portsmouth, um, where they live. So Betty leaves some details out of her report. Because she doesn't want them to think that she's crazy. Mm-hmm. And Barney is really not wanting to talk to her, to pe- like, to people about this in the first place. So she's just like, I'm not going to tell them all the details, but just let them know that we saw a UFO right, more right. so than probably, like, she probably didn't mention the gray men or anything like that. So 
The Air Force takes her story down, but at first they're not really all that interested in what she has to say. But then a while, little while later, the Air Force realizes that a controller in the tower at an airport near where they were at at the time had made a report the same night around the same time that they did. And so they start taking her account a little bit more seriously. And she and Barney were really feeling relieved at this point that somebody believed them in the first place. And yeah. so... Yeah, so at this point, she starts falling down the rabbit hole herself, just trying to figure out what she saw that night. And there's no way, like, you're not just going to be like, cool, I did my duty, I reported that, and now I'm going to go back to my regular life. Right. There's no way that you could just stop. Of course, back in the day, like we said, there's no internet. So she spends her extra time, like all the extra time she has at the library, trying to figure out more about other people's accounts. And she's finding all these reports, but um, also sees that other people have been like completely ridiculed when they come forward. People don't want to believe them. They call them crazy. Of course they do. Call them lunatics. So, yeah. So she does come across a book called The Flying Saucer Conspiracy, which was written in 1955 by Major Donald Kehoe. Kehoe was an American... Did you say Kehoe? uh, He was... No, Kehoe. Okay. Like K-E-Y-H-O-E. I I got down my own rabbit hole and found something on Etsy for you for Christmas. Yes. So, yeah. But I thought you said that this man's name was Keyhole. And I was like... Yeah, Mr. Keyhole. I was like, yeah, that's weird, <laughs> but okay. Accepted. And then I was like, wait, not accepted. Yeah. What? Okay. Go on, Mr. Keyhole. Know, right? Yeah, Miss, Mr. Keyhole. So, no, Mr. Keyhole. So, he was an American Marine Corps uh, naval aviator. And he had been writing books that seemed to focus on horror and the paranormal for the most part. Um, but then in the late 1940s, he began to dive into the world of UFOs. The more research that he did, he the more he realized that there were a lot of consistent reports describing aircraft that were doing things that our technology just couldn't do, like you know, like like ping pong balling through the sky. <laughs> our our planes can't can't do that. We can't move without that inertia. So as an aviator himself, he's really familiar with how our planes worked, of course. He's like, this just this isn't technology that that we have right now. And so he believed really strongly that the government was covering up their existence by helping to discredit witnesses because they thought the public couldn't handle knowing the truth. They probably couldn't. Yeah, when, when things started to get more crazy, I mean, like it was during World War II mm. when some of these reports were coming out and they just, there's there's a lot of speculation that the government was like, they can't handle something else like this right now or this like bigger threat and having to, you know, admit that we're not ready for a potential other larger threat uh, is really scary. Yeah, dealing with Nazis and then, oh, yeah, by the way, you might get your butt probed. Mm. Exactly. You have no control over it once the probe starts. Yeah, that's terrifying. Nobody needs to know about that shit at that time. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So Betty decides she's going to write a letter to Major Kehoe, and on, he, she does this on September 26th. So this is just a week after the sighting. So she's like gung-ho on doing mm-hmm. this research over a course of a week. So she tells him everything she remembers about what happened. And Kehoe also happens to be the head of an organization called NICAP. So NICAP was the... National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. It existed between the years of 1950 and 1980. And this is a citizens group, so it's not affiliated with the government at all. Okay. So it's just a bunch of, like, astronomers and people who are interested in UFOs. So she sends that on. And then also, while she's waiting for some kind of response, a few days later, so this is 10 days after the UFO sighting, Betty starts to have vivid nightmares um, she has these nightmares for five nights in a row, and they're pretty much the same every night. In these nightmares, she has an encounter with human-like entities where they surround the car, abduct her and Barney, subject them to physical examinations. Um, and before this, 
Betty had never been able to really recall her dreams with as much detail and intensity. And during the day, she just could not stop thinking about this. It's just all she could think about was this and those dreams. And so she tells Barney about them. And he's like, you know, like sympathetic to her that she's having these nightmares. But he he just he doesn't he wants to drop the subject, does not want to talk about this. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. So as we can see, like this is a pattern, you know, like with like him driving home afterward, he's like, let's nope, I don't believe in these. Mm -hmm. Like, just stop. Like, you keep trying to talk about it when we get home. No, I don't want to do that. You have these nightmares. I don't want to talk about them. Like, he just, he cannot, he doesn't like this. He doesn't want to talk about it or anything like that. But he's got, he's got a ton to lose. I mean, like, he's, he's a black man in the 1960s. He's involved in the civil rights movement, like, very Mm -hmm. prominently in the area that he's in. He's married to a white woman. You know, like, there's this thing that the people aren't going to like about him in the first place. At this time. And then he had recently also been appointed to be a local board member of the United States, the United States Commission on Civil Rights. So he's like a leader in this stuff going on. And him and Betty are both involved really heavily in the NAACP as well. Mm -hmm. So like this is like it's really scary to him, I'm sure, to to want to talk to anybody. He's trying to be credible and get some shit done in the world that needs to be done. And he's like, oh, the last thing I need is for people to be like, oh, and by the way, that black man also believes he was abducted by an alien. Yeah, that's – I'm kind of on Team Barney with this. He's like, put a lid on it, Betty. Come on. I know, but, like, if you're a Betty, can you shut up about it? I mean, like, who can blame her? I mean, I see it from both it's sides. It's not like she's trying to, but... like, shout it from the rooftop. She's just trying to find out what happened to her. Okay, yeah. I get it from both sides, but, like, that's rough on him. That's rough. It is rough on him. So I'm sure he was, like, wondering, like, why me of all the people in the world? Should never. Like, seriously, why me? And it, it was Never wonder him, why man. you, because there's a reason. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Clearly. Yes. Okay. So she has these these nightmares or whatever, but she had that, that letter out. And so... This letter that, that she wrote to Major Kehoe was actually passed along to Walter Webb, who was another NICAP member. Um, he's an astronomer by day. And Webb met with Betty and Barney on October 31st, or, sorry, October 21st. Um, for about six hours in total, he interviewed them separately where they couldn't hear everything. Um, they both recalled everything that they could, including Barney opening up about the humanoid figures that he saw in the cracked oh, windows. Wow. Yeah. So... At this time, Barney also admitted that his memory was somewhat fuzzy and that he did sense that there were things that he just didn't want to remember. Mm -hmm. So I think that he it seems like when he's talking to somebody that he knows believes in UFOs and, you know, like that that they're not completely dismissing things like that. So these NICAP members and other people that that come forward later that, you know, like that they talk to, it seems like he he's really only interested in talking to people that he knows aren't going to to judge him and immediately discredit what he has to say. I feel like that's normal. Like, that's pretty much human nature, too. Yeah, absolutely. So after Webb finishes talking to them, he concludes that they are likely telling the truth based on the way that they described the aircraft, like how it moved, um, because that's something that people who have seen UFOs, like, that's really consistent, that it's they're able to move with this force that we're not able to replicate Mm -hmm. in the world right now. And he also felt like they were very serious, intelligent, and consistent in the way that they were communicating this story. Very consistent. And just the fact that they have a lot to lose in life. Like, it's... Yeah. That's a a lot for somebody to come forward with something like this when they have so much to lose. So um, he said that there were some uncertainties, but nothing out of the ordinary. Because we know that the the human memory is kind of a shit show. And Webb knew that, too. But he's like, (laughs) there's a couple things where it's like, oh, you can't remember this or this. How do you forget it? But at the same time, like, human memory, right? So... Yeah. And probably traumatized human memory on top of this. So after this interview in November... Uh, or after this interview later in November, so the next month, Betty is still just, she can't stop thinking about those dreams. They did stop after the five nights, but she just, she can't stop thinking about them. She just thinks about them all the time, every day. And so she decides she's going to start journaling about them. And so 
I'm going to talk about what she described in these journals from what she dreamed. So, so does she think that the dreams were like placed in her brain? Like why, why five days in a row? Like, I don't think that she thinks that they were necessarily placed in her brain. Um, I'll, I'll talk about why in a second. So, okay, let's, right. let's talk through what, she, what she's journaled and what she can remember about the dreams. So, she describes the humanoids surrounding the vehicle and being escorted by two small men through the forest that night with Barney following them in a sleepwalk type trance. She said that the men were between five foot and five foot four. So they're they're littler mm-hmm. with matching blue uniforms and military like hats on that are kind of similar to military cadet hats. They weren't quite human, but similar to us. Uh, They had gray skin, black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and bluish lips. So these ones had hair? Well, in in her dream, they have hair. Yeah. This is how she's dreaming it. So, yeah. The men escort them up a ramp into a disc-shaped craft made of like what seems like metal. And she and Barney get separated, and she starts to get upset about it. Um, The man that she refers to as the leader in this situation told them that it, or like she, like he's like trying to like calm her down, and she's like, he's like, if we don't separate you guys, this is gonna take a lot longer. So we just really want to separate you guys and get through this really quick, so we can get you back on your way. So (laughs) they separate them. They're just trying to be very. um, They're trying to be very considerate of their time. Like, I'm sorry, man. Just They do. Come on. We're trying to get this done quickly. Just got some work to do here. Come on. Yeah. I mean, like, it is, it's consistent with other claims of abduction, though, at the same time. So it's it's interesting. But so he's just, like, and he's just communicating to them. So once in the exam room, the leader is joined by a man that she refers to as the examiner. So there's the leader and the examiner. Um, she said the examiner was really pleasant and calm. They both spoke in English, but the examiner didn't have as good of a grasp on it as the leader did, and he was somewhat difficult to understand. The examiner explained that they were looking to determine the differences between humans and themselves. So he sat her down. He cut off a piece of her hair. What? Like... And... Yeah, and then he starts looking at her hands, her mouth, eyes, ears, legs, and feet. He took some fingernail trimmings, and he took some skin scrapings. He tested her nervous system, and none of this hurt at all. But at this point, he pulled out a large needle. (gasps) And, yeah, he inserted it into her belly button, which did hurt really bad. And... When the leader realized that it was hurting her, he waved his hand in front of her face and the pain vanished. What? I had a giant needle stuck in my belly when I was pregnant with Frank. They did an amniocentesis or whatever they call those. Dude, it's fucking brutal. That's not okay. I'd imagine. It's so gross. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, I... Like, that's the only part that she describes as being painful, though. So the examiner left the room um, after that whole examination was done, and she started speaking to the leader. And the leader gave her a book and pulled, like, he, like, gave her a book basically to keep. And then he pulled down a map to show her of the stars. And when they, like, so then, like, he just shows her the star map, essentially. And then... After this, they start leading them from the ship when an argument breaks out between the men, like a little bit of a disagreement, essentially. And the men were arguing about Betty being able to take the book with her or not. And eventually the leader explained that he had to take it back because the others didn't want her to remember the encounter. So so he gave it to her so that she could like prove that she was there and remember the encounter better. And the others were like, no, man, we're, we're going to wipe this, this chick's memory. So we're... Like, we're, we're going to wipe these guys' memories. We don't want her to have the book. We don't want her to have anything. We want them to think nothing happened to them. Uh, that's the nice thing to do. That's the polite thing to do. Yeah, is to wipe memories. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Like when I think about these, I think about them like uh, like like how we would like look at an animal. We don't really want to harm them, but if we like saw a strange animal that we needed to know more about, we're gonna scare them for a bit. You know, like we're not yeah. really hurting you, but we just need to inspect you oh. and make sure everything's okay. Right? Yes. Like, yeah. So so when when they pull this away. Like, she insists that she's like, I'm going to remember somehow, someday anyway, so just let me keep this fucking book. And but they're, they're like, no, man, we, we got to take this book from you. We, we can't let you keep it. And so they take the book back. They let her and Barney go and they're told to wait until the craft disappears before starting to drive again. So they did so and went on their way. And this is all what happened in her. So, I mean, like, I have a lot of dreams that are really fucking weird, really fucking weird. Yeah. And. I would never base an experience in my life off like, well, I had a dream about that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And we're not. This is just her okay, dream. Okay. Yeah. So later in November, so this is, you know, like she writes this stuff down in November, but later on the Hills meet with other NICAP members as well. So C.D. Jackson and Robert Holman um, said that they had some questions after reading Walter Webb's, Walter Webb's report. So they were most curious about how long it took Betty and Barney to drive home that night, as you were. So that's why I was like, I'm not going to answer that quite oh, yet. Okay. So, Fair yeah, question. They, they had originally recalled, yeah, they, they had originally recalled having gotten home later than expected, but that's not completely out of the ordinary considering that they stopped to look at the aircraft a couple of times and were like driving slow and things like that we all know how much time like just stopping to go to the bathroom or feed your family can take on a road trip so um yeah the 178 mile drive should have only taken them four hours through the mountains but it ended up taking them seven hours and they realized with like the stops that they made and things like that that they were missing about two hours of time from that night okay yeah so the NICAP members start pushing the topic of hypnosis during this time to recover those two hours. They're like, we need to know like what happened to you right. in these two hours that you're missing. Yeah. And Barney is hesitant because he's just he just doesn't want to deal with this. But he's he is also tired of dealing with the shit in the first place. And he's wondering if if maybe Betty figured out what was going on in those two hours that she might just drop the topic and just stop talking about it because that's what he just he just wants her to stop talking about yeah. it. He's not totally totally sold on hypnosis yet either. And so um, so he decides that he's going to just start taking on the, the weekends. They start taking these road trips to the White Mountains. It's about, you know, like just back to where they were oh. during that time period to see if they can just get some of their memories back by being in that area. They think it might jog their memories. Um, they, they keep going back and going back. They can't even recall where they saw the fiery orb in the road, like the parts that they remember. Mm -hmm. They can't even find those spots. So it's, it's really, it's not working. Over the next year, this really starts to take a toll on their relationship as well. And they just got married. Yeah, I know. And Betty wants to understand like so badly what happened. And Barney just wants to keep quiet because he just doesn't want this to, you know, yeah. like ruin his life. Yeah. So, yeah. So Barney is continually just stressing about the situation and he ends up developing an ulcer in his stomach and he decides that, you know, like because this he decided this, this came from stress. Um, I'm not sure if ulcers really come from stress. I think that might have been like I think I read at one point that they weren't really caused by stress or some people think they're not really or something. I thought that they are caused from stress, but then again, I I have gotten an ulcer before and it I I was very stressed at the time in my life. Have you had an ulcer? Like a real mm -hmm. one? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I threw up some blood. Oh yeah. I remember that when you were puking up blood. Yeah. I was concerned. Yeah. You've had a lot of moments in your ulcer. life where I was concerned, so yeah, it's because I used to take ibuprofen like a madman, too. That doesn't help. Hmm. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm all right now. So he starts seeing a psychiatrist, though, to kind of try to get rid of some of this, this stress. And he really likes the psychiatrist that he's seeing. He thinks it's pretty cool. So also around the same time, like, they are starting to 
entertain the idea of no of hypnosis and their church actually ended up having a guest speaker captain ben h sweat of the u.s air force um he just happened to be like speaking about hypnosis in like a separate meeting at their church and so they decide that they're gonna go and and listen to what he has to say who talks about hypnosis at church i know i think that's really weird but it was a thing that happened kind of a church are they going to I think it was like a Unitarian church. Or oh, something. yeah, yeah. That makes a lot more sense. I feel like I'm. Oh, OK, cool. I've often felt like I'm more of a Unitarian than anything else. I don't know anything about them. No. Maybe I should have looked into it. More. Look it up. Look it up. All right. I will. So um, after the session, Barney decides that he's going to approach Sweat and let him know that he's lost some memory. And he's wondering if Sweat would help him out. And Sweat really is like, dude, I'm I'm kind of an, an amateur. And after hearing that Barney is seeing a psychiatrist, so Barney apparently really opens up to this guy. I think he must just with people that he trusts, essentially. So yeah. Sweat is like, I, I'm not the right guy. If you're seeing a psychiatrist, you should really talk to him about this instead um, and, and see if he can help you out or get you in touch with somebody who can help you out. And so Barney is at least at this point, like really starting to get more comfortable with the idea of hypnosis after hearing that. So um, he he decides that he's going to talk to his psychiatrist about it. But in the meantime, he is starting to, to open up a little bit more to probably Betty's pushing him a little yeah. bit. But there's a amateur UFO study group in Quincy Center, Massachusetts near them. And so through NICAP, they were able to get them set up and they decided they were going to just give this quick like speaking thing at this thing in in Massachusetts give a little bit more of a public interview than they would normally have done but that's the only one that they really decided to do around that time so a little while later when Barney meets with his psychiatrist the psychiatrist refers him to another psychiatrist and hypnotist in Boston and his name is Benjamin Simon and Betty and Barney meet with him in December of 1963. So this is like more than two years after their encounter. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of hoping that you were going to say that the guy's name was Benjamin Button. And I was like, no shit. With Dr. Benjamin Button. Nope. No. I'm disappointed, uh, but okay. Yeah. Upon meeting with them, Doc- Dr. Simon, he can tell that Barney has a lot of anxiety and fear, even if he's not willing to admit it. He's like, man, this yeah. guy has got some some shit going on he's not thinking about and so he doesn't he doesn't believe that they've been visited by a ufo um but he's also he's like i i truly believe that they think that they were visited by a ufo and so he agrees to hypnotize them separately that's good i mean it would be weird to have two hypnotized people at the same time yeah it would be really weird but he's like i just need to make sure that they can't hear each other or anything Mm -hmm. that the other is saying essentially so um, Barney was going to go first, beginning on January 4th of 1964. He ended up hypnotizing both Barney and Betty several times, again, ensured that they were separated so they wouldn't hear one another's recollections. And after each session, he also reinstated their amnesia so that they couldn't recall and talk to one another between the sessions. So we're at almost an hour, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here before I start talking about what these two talked about in their hypnosis sessions i really want to know what they talked about in the hypnosis sessions and i'm sorry to all of you people out there that are listening that want to know the other half of this but sorry fuckers i get to know right away today and you don't get to know till next week i know bummer for them Bummer for you good for for me what do you think so far um I feel like this is a very serious topic for us to be talking about. Like, we have not done a lot of joking or anything. Like, we're taking this very seriously. No, I... Yeah, I'm... I, like... I guess I've been... And maybe you, maybe you feel the same way. That I've been, like... Like, wanting to take this more seriously. Because I think that there's just been so much joking and, like making fun of people that believe in UFOs and aliens, but it's not, it's not outlandish. I don't think it's It's not really. I really don't think it is outlandish. Like if it's like so many different beliefs that are out there, um, 
when you see them in various cultures and you start to see the similarities across the world, like, oh, look, they're the exact same thing happened over here, over here, over here. You know, it starts to give credence to it because it's not just like an isolated incident or isolated to the United States or one area. When you start to see it pop up all over the place, especially back before the internet, that's the kind of stuff that kind of freaks you out a little bit. It is. And like, I've seen a whole bunch of other things. And the thing that, the thing this week that really threw me for a loop was, um, have you heard of Bob Lazar? No. So this could be a whole other episode. And I, I probably will cover him at some point once I get, I haven't been able to watch all of the things and listen to all the interviews yet that I wanted to. I think he even has a book, but he was, he was employed by, um, like at Area 51, essentially, um, back in the late 80s. And he ended up being removed from the project that he was working on due to some family situation, things that were going on. And he, he was upset about it and he decided to go public with what he was working on. And he said that, that essentially there, and it's like not, it's called like S4, but just near area 51. So it's just a different Mm -hmm. area. Like that's kind of connected to there. And he said that he was, he's like, they have like alien technology there that they are trying to reverse engineer. The government has multiple craft and technologies that they are trying to reverse engineer so that we can get that technology. Because when these things exist, they can't let other countries know that we have it. No. Because if the other countries figured out how to do like what these what these aircraft do, like bouncing around in the sky and things like that, like there's not, I mean, like, there's just not any way that, that we would be able to defend ourselves against that if it was coming in well, and being hostile. It seems like what's come in so far hasn't been hostile necessarily, just curious, but this is like, like that's the part that is like, and it's just like people have tried to discredit this guy, and yeah, he has some like holes in his story with with things like that. But overall, it seems really credible to me. And then I'm starting to realize that like Robert Bigelow from the Skinwalker Ranch, the former owner, he does talk, and there are some things he's friends with this Bob guy that that worked at the thing. He's helped get his story out, and George Knapp that wrote the book from Skinwalker Ranch. It's just, it's all coming together for me. And that's where I'm just like, I'm like, my, my world is thrown off. Well, I'm first of all, glad that you, that you uh, articulated that Bob Lazar is a person. Cause I was like, is this like the Baba Duke? <laughs> no, no, he's, he's, he's a, a real no. man, like a very smart man. It's the Bob yeah. Lazar, the Bob Lazar. It's like all one word. The Bob Lazar. Yeah. And then secondly, I can see where they want to keep this a secret because I don't fucking want other dangerous countries to know how to do this stuff or that we have it or where they have it. Like that's the kind of stuff should stay a secret. Yes. But also like if we can confirm if our country actually knows like for real, we have these things or maybe even like there was an, like one of the documentaries there was a guy that was actually like saying like, that he has helped perform autopsies on extraterrestrials at Area 51. That, like Bob Lazar is not this person. That this man is, is like stuff that I worked was there, ask. and they can confirm that he had worked there. And he's like, dude, no, there is alien technology that we're trying to reverse engineer, and I was working on fucking autopsies of aliens, and we just don't know about these things. That that's nuts. I mean, like I can understand why they're kept secret, but holy fuck. Like that just changes, it changes how you look at the world, right? If that's real, I'm not saying I 100% believe all of it yet. But they're starting to to release more and more information, a little bit at a time, and I think I think it's a concerted effort. Like I think that that Travis Taylor being the head of the UAP task force and also being on Skinwalker Ranch in such a public situation there. I don't think right. that that's an accident. Like, oh, by the way, I just forgot to mention to you while we're like researching possible UFOs that that I'm actually the head of the UAP task force for the United States government. 
And also, I, I see the alien Like, how, how did he get hooked up with that? Just, and, like, it just it's just so crazy to me. Like, I think that – and they, they are, right? Like, they released that, that Tic Tac video in 2017 where it's showing this aircraft that's moving without any – like, just in, in ways that we can't, right? Like, there's no – the, the force that's needed. So we're on the cusp. We're on the cusp. I think I think that they're slowly giving us information because I think that that we're we're gonna get more information at some point. Maybe it's ten to fifteen years down the line, but I think really we have to I I, I understand why they would need to slowly introduce us to the idea. Yes, clearly. Because it would be alarming. Yeah, but I I would say like there's there's so many other ones too. Like it's not just just this sighting. There's God, there's there's situations where large groups of people have seen beings. Like not just the UFO, but mm-hmm. the beings. There's there was a, a school in Zimbabwe in 1994 that had. That's exactly do you know about what that I was going to ask you if there were no, but I was going to ask you if there were. I wanted to hear if there were like reports from remote countries or like you know like somewhere in South America that nobody ever goes or in Africa it wasn't it in, wasn't an area where nobody wherever. goes in Africa necessarily but it looked like there were a lot of I think they, they sounded to me to be Australian um maybe like missionaries or okay. something at the school it was like mixed they were speaking in English but there were like children I don't know what you call somebody from Zimbabwe Zimbabwean Zim I don't know I'm not going to take a guess because that doesn't feel It doesn't feel like right nice for me to, to say do. it. There were children from Zimbabwe, but they're speaking English. There's also what I think might be Australian or English, um, but it sounded more Australian to me. I haven't looked into that one as much, but that will um, be a case I cover. Australians speak English. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, but their accent. That's what I was trying to get at. Their <laughs> accent. So that's what I was trying to figure out. But so anyway, there's like okay. like 64 school children playing in the schoolyard. The teachers are inside. They all all of them see a craft come down and at least one extraterrestrial in the daytime in the, daytime, in the schoolyard like at recess comes down one of the beings gets out of the spacecraft and is literally three feet away from one of the girls that's interviewed today even as an adult <gasps> saying like we saw this these people that saw it and then like the government comes and tells them to shut up and stop talking about it you didn't see anything. Okay. Well, that alien, that alien went rogue, first of all. And I'm pretty sure the alien got in big trouble for that because what are you doing? Yeah, that alien, I mean, like, he was putting phone. ideas into their heads, too. Like, he was he was speaking to them, like, telepathically. I'll cover that case in a separate time because it deserves probably an episode. But just, like, when, when we start to see things like that and, like, that, that one in particular where we've got – just a really large number of witnesses and the the type of person that they saw was very similar to the type of person that Betty and Barney are describing. And that one is in 1984 and this is 1961, right? So I I don't know. Like I mm-hmm. it it makes me believe some things. There are some some ways, I mean like there will be some possible discrediting of them too or ideas being placed into their heads. But I don't know, like that, that I'll talk about at the toward the end of the episode. But I also don't know what those, um, you know, like maybe those ideas came from somebody else that saw something that didn't want to talk about it. So there's just always those, those thoughts or ideas that could be out there. But, but yeah. So so this is this one. We'll talk more about the other one. I think we'll have more time to just kind of chat about UFOs too on the next one since I've only got about 15 slides left. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you understand why I'm going so crazy? I do. I understand why you're going so crazy. So I don't think that I'm going to fall down the UFO hole. I don't think you will. No. I'm more likely. No, I'm more likely to fall down the cryptid hole than the UFO hole. But but I'm into it. I'm into it. Awesome. That's fine. Because... I don't I think that any paranormal that I cover honestly is going to be aliens for quite a while until I feel like I I have oh my god we need to flush it from your system well I'm gonna need to yeah but I don't like with something like this do you ever flush it 
I know that I fell down a rabbit no. hole with like I, I did at one point and I, I still firmly believe that like I fell down a rabbit hole with like reincarnation a couple of years ago. Oh, my God. I love that topic. Too. I know. And this actually like this does coincide with my beliefs with that. But that's a story for another day. I feel like I feel like we should do like a collaborative episode when it comes to all that kind of stuff. I think we could just honestly just talk about it for an hour and we probably could. Like, let's have a philosophical conversation about this. Yeah, I, I absolutely yeah. think we could. So anyway. Cool. Well, this was fun. Um, I will see you in the next episode, which is actually for us right now. Yeah. But for the rest of you, we will see you next week. And I hope you have an awesome life until then. Don't get abducted by aliens. Goodbye. I still have to tell oh, wait, people wait, wait. about you have where to, to go on social media and all that. So go to hell. So if you like us and you want to throw maybe a couple dollars at us every month to help us out with some of the costs associated with producing this podcast, you can go look at us up at patreon.com slash weird shit my mom says podcast find us on facebook at weird shit my mom says pod or nope sorry i fucked up find us on facebook at uh, facebook.com slash weird shit my mom says podcast take the eye out of shit in that situation um and then instagram you can find us at weird shit my mom says podcast twitter you can find us at weird shit mms pod and then finally, you can find some little TikTok videos of us if you search for Weird Shit My Mom Says Podcast on t- on TikTok. Yes. Yeah. So now, now we're ready to say goodbye. Okay, okay. Now. Goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye.